0: This week on Geek Explained, part two of In December features a discussion on life, music, and the search for what makes us whole. Join me and Malcolm Russell Nelson as we look at Miles Davis and the search for the sound. One, Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is part two of In December 2023. We are dedicating the entire month of December to independent comics, and this week we are spotlighting Dave Chisholm's Miles Davis and the Search for the Sound. I'm being joined by Malcolm Russell Nelson and. I am really, really excited to share the discussion we had on this book. This was a sleeper hit for me this year, and I, to be honest, wouldn't have picked it up if not for the recommendation of Good Brother and Friend of the Podcast, Doc Shaner. And I am so glad that we decided to cover it for this month. But we not only have a great discussion on a great comic book, we've got the weekly review for the final doctor who 60th anniversary special entitled the giggle and i've got lots of thoughts on that and of course this week's comics countdown where i'll be chatting you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week so make sure you stay tuned for that after the jump uh this week has been interesting uh we had the game awards rest in peace to spider-man 2 which was nominated for i think seven awards and won absolutely zilch zero none of them and um It is a shame. I was hoping that Yuri Lowenthal would get the nod for best performance because he does the absolute most in that game, but I totally understand uh, giving it to who? You know, to be honest with you folks, I haven't played Baldur's Gate 3. I've heard great things. I know it's a game that I could get lost in, and I refuse to get lost in it for now because I just do not have the time, but... We've got some uh, pretty exciting things going on right now. And unfortunately some not exciting things. Uh, The loss of... of the game awards wasn't the only big hit that insomniac took this past week as of this recording they also were dealing with a massive cyber attack where uh hackers got in and potentially leaked some wolverine stuff for the upcoming game i didn't look i have no idea what was released or leaked or whatever but suffice to say it's been a rough week for those at insomniac so send them your well wishes uh but I think that's pretty much it for now. Uh, I want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's been reaching out with really kind things about uh, the man in the Macintosh suit last week. I had a wonderful conversation with Rena Ayuyang. Yang. And if you haven't gone back to listen to that yet, do so. It's a great conversation. Rena is a wonderful creator. And I am so, so, so freaking excited to have her back on the podcast in the future. But, without further ado speaking of in december let's roll right on into the main event the main course the entree if you will where in part two of in december 2023 malcolm russell nelson and i dive in to miles davis and the search for the sound Road in rural Arkansas, a boy hears a mysterious blues-drenched sound emanating from a haunted woods. For the next 50-plus years, one Miles Davis would spend every waking moment searching for the sound. Here we are, part two of In December, our Completely filled month of talking about creator-owned comics. Uh, last week, we tackled the man in the Macintosh suit with special guest Rena Ayu Yang. This week, we are going from the sounds of Detective Noir into the sound, singular, of one Miles Davis. As we talk about Miles Davis and the search for the sound by Dave Chisholm. And I am joined of course, by my good brother, the man who I would sit in a dark room with playing piano and trumpet until our fingers got blisters. It's Malcolm Russell Nelson. Hello. This is, uh, this is interesting. This is an, this is an interesting one because uh, this is an interesting one. when I was coming up with the, the slate for the, uh, for in December, I do this a little bit in advance. Sometimes I plan things, sometimes I don't.
1: She's uh, a professional,
0: folks. No, <laughs> I'm sometimes a professional. Uh, <laughs> I, I had an open slot when I was looking through, and I was like, oh, what do we want to like look at? What do we want to talk about? I knew I wanted to talk to Malcolm, but I didn't know what we wanted to talk about. And then I go on Twitter and I see that good brother in front of the podcast, Doc Shaner, was recommending a book called Miles Davis and the Search for the Sound. And I had to take a look at it. And once I did, I knew what we were talking about. Because I have had a longstanding love for jazz. And Malcolm and I have had conversations about this before about our mutual love of the medium. And. After thumbing through the the preview of this, I knew that this had to be the book. And I don't know, there's something about it that I was like this is this is something special. Maybe it's because you can't get a digital copy of this. You have to get it in hard copy. There's it made it kind cover. of special for me. And I mean, I'm I'm a sucker for like hardback books and I mean the presentation of this is gorgeous. It's very simplistic on the cover. But yeah, I just want to I just want to talk about Miles Davis and the search for the sound for a little bit. Uh Malcolm, I want to ask you what was your I guess what what's what's your experience with jazz? How are you introduced to it? Do you have any favorites?
1: Uh so so my grandfather uh for for first off, for, for listeners who don't know, uh, I'm technically a New Yorker, uh, a thing that I wear very proudly. Uh, boy does uh, he! Boy do I! Uh, fuck Jersey. Um, so <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> <on> my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm a New Yorker. Uh, my parents are from New York. Uh, my grandparents are from New York. You know, go on, so on and forth. Uh, so my grandfather on my mother's side. Is uh was a big uh was was a big musician type person. Uh he liked uh enjoying musicians, I should say. Um, you know, and growing up in New York in that time, you know, or living in New York in the thirties, forties, fifties, you know, it was a very tight knit area, you know. So if you're in the music scene, you gotta get to know a lot of people. Um so he, you know, had experienced personally, you know, Duke and Dizzy and, you know, all, all these people, uh, you know, and so me growing up, uh, not exactly close to my grandfather, but, you know, close enough to hear stories, uh, would get a lot of stories of jazz people, uh, and jazz, and that's kind of how I was introduced to jazz in general, um, but Miles Davis was always one of those names that came up with, uh, with a weird bit of ire for my grandfather. And I never oh, really understood why. Interesting. I never, never really understood why. But he always said Miles Davis with a little bit of a slur. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it, it always came out of his mouth in a weird way uh and me wanting to piss my grandfather off i was like well i've got to find out more about this miles davis guy (laughs) 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 so uh that was how i walked the miles davis path um but i mean that that said listen i mean the duke was the greatest like literally just the greatest (laughs) like there's nobody better i don't think but miles is a close second for me personally for sure yeah About you?
0: you? you know it's funny i um because I, I love music. I've loved music since I was very small. And when I was a kid, I wanted to learn how to play it. I just like all sounds were new sounds for me, you know, when you're a kid. And I fell in love with brass and with jazz. And when I, you know, got old enough for my, you know, my elementary school to start like taking uh, music classes, Yeah, I found out that my family has a history of playing saxophone. And so my mom <laughs> had played alto sax. No uh, way. My dad played, alto- played trumpet, I believe. Um, and so we, you know, we had the alto saxophone going back a couple generations. And so <sighs> I started playing alto sax when I was a kid. Oh,
1: I didn't that- know that. I yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> I...
0: You know, I played alto sax through elementary school, through middle school, and into high school. And in high school, uh, shout out Mountain View High School. It's the only, probably the only time you'll hear me talking positively <laughs> about it. Uh, I, I continued to, you know, listen and love music. You know, during the fall, it would be all marching band. We'd go to games. You know, marching mm-hmm. band was more popular than our football team because our football team was god-awful. Yeah, and then absolutely. in the spring, marching band transitioned into jazz band. And I just fucking love jazz band, man. I There was something about it. And as I continued through high school, I continued to just love everything about it, whether – we're talking like um like you said the duke whether we're talking miles davis i was surprised you know how much i actually really enjoyed obviously charlie parker and yeah. you know it was just it was something that i've always kind of loved and even after i stopped playing saxophone i continued to love jazz and so you know, over the years I'd fall in love with, and, uh, and obviously, you know, getting into musical theater, a lot of that kind of musicality goes into that, that genre of performance. And, he, and when I got to, you know, actually start acting and, you know, whether it was in theater, doing voiceover, all that stuff, music has always been a big part of me and how i align with things i mean i've talked about it before i my preferred way of reading comics is listening to music and it's something that's kind of always carried with me and getting to pick up this book and read through it because i mean obviously we've all heard of miles davis we've all heard of the music of miles davis but i didn't know the story of miles davis yeah same and learning about it through this book and obviously I mean I don't I don't think it did too much dramatizing, but there's obviously dramatizing when it comes to comic books and secondhand accounts, but I mean this is incredible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So this is uh, I'm I'm I want to uh secure the rights for the screenplay. I want yeah, right the screenplay really like, badly. Holy shit, like, dude. Really badly. Because I I think this movie deserves to be made agreed agreed so hard uh and it's it, it would be an easy thing to do this is this is your script right here yeah this is book i think this book is so it's gorgeous cinematic good. it is so cinematic um but make it animated so it looks like Ooh. dave church's art uh yes make like make all i could think it. the entire time was like oh my god this will be the greatest animated movie of all time like oh this would be god. this would be the peak yeah
0: i mean due to the uh the subject matter of the language we can't make we can't expect disney to do it but
1: no but sony could
0: sony could <laughs> you you put some re- dude oh my god can you imagine you the spider-verse team to do this or, shit or even the fucking uh the tmnt
1: team the turtles kids you get them to do this shit like like this could be got... one of the greatest animated films ever the, yeah that's the thing. it would it would be legendary.
0: Now, this was a, again, we hadn't heard of Dave Chisholm, and I'm probably pronounced that incorrectly, and I apologize. I'm assuming it's Chisholm. I want to say Chisholm, but I could also see it being Kism. Um who knows. but mm. I'd never heard of this creator before and going into and, you know, going to buy and purchase the book. I found out that he had previously done a book for Charlie Parker, and we were talking off mic about how all we could think of after finishing this book was, "Damn, we gotta go get that
1: Charlie Parker book." We gotta go get that Charlie Parker book. I, I listeners, I finished this at two o'clock this morning uh, (laughs) because I got my copy late. (laughs) I finished this at two o'clock this morning, and all I could think was, "Oh my god!" And this is like a follow up to the Charlie Parker book. I gotta get the Charlie Parker book. Gotta get the Charlie Parker book. That's gotta be incredible. (laughs) yeah
0: and like this book and dave chisholm is such an for me such an off the beaten path because i don't normally like to do to get into um uh autobiographical comics yeah meaning i feel like a lot of times they can be really restrictive Yes. Because you're kind of at the whims of the estate, or you're trying to, they yes. go for a very paint by numbers art style. Yeah, there are a lot a controlling
1: of trolling yeah. yeah.
0: There aren't a lot of like biographical graphic novels that experiment with form. Mm. And that's what happens when you are you know answering to a lot of different masters here i and maybe maybe i'm way off base and i'm completely wrong about this this feels like a completely dave chisholm book project start to finish this is his baby and he gets to do what he wants with this and the experimentation when it comes to the art let's just we we've been tap dancing around it the whole time the art in this is fucking
1: incredible i think this is one of the best looking comics i've ever seen in my life uh just because it works so perfectly for what it is yeah um there's so many examples of just like i i can't imagine this story being drawn by anybody else or drawn any other way because it's so appropriate for what the story is being told and how it's being told uh i mean if you go to page seven is the first time where i i spent like five minutes just looking at this page yeah uh the book. The book opens on on uh, l- listeners. If you if you haven't gotten the book, we're we're gonna spoil a little well, bit. we're gonna
0: are sp- to be spoiling a lot of this book, but even but so, I don't, don't want to spoil you...
1: too much of the story is the thing because oh, I think it's sure. worth like you know going and getting it. Like please listen Absolutely. to this and go get this book. But the story starts off with a framing device in 1982. You know, it's after Miles has had a really bad stroke. And is regaining use in his hand, and his doctor uh, recommends that he, you know, starts drawing, uh, starts drawing with his right hand uh, to gain mobility in that hand, you know. And so he and starts to scribbling just
0: pass the time,
1: and to pass the time, yeah, because it's going to be a long recovery, you know. But yeah. that's going to pass the time pretty nicely. Um, and so he he starts drawing, and starts. Th- there's this page of him sitting at this desk with all these scribbles behind it right and that was the first i was like whoa yeah this is interesting this is something and then it goes to 1933 arkansas uh with little boy miles uh and you see this boy and the the way that he's depicted by another artist, I don't know, I don't know if Dave Chisholm is black or not, but by another artist, this could be like highly offensive because he's given super like little boy Sambo look, but that's exactly like how he looked, you know, like with yeah. big eyes, like and I think it speaks to a wide-eyed optimism, you know, kind of thing. Um but he, he on the next page is when he's hearing the sound, and the depiction of this sound is like this ethereal spirit. Is yeah. unbelievable. I was I was taken aghast this. I was like, "Oh my god, what? What is it? it? It's it's like he's experiencing this giant celestial being."
0: Yeah, that's I've, I've I've never seen music illustrated this way. No, I've never thought of music this way at all. And it, it's this ethereal being, like what's what's incredible yeah. to me is like there are so many different ways because i like you i was staring at this fucking page for like 30 minutes yeah trying to make <laughs> out like, my god what's the shape is it humanoid is it not like what is yeah and it doesn't matter ultimately because what no. you see in this is what you're going to see and everyone i think is going to see this this being the spirit differently also, and it's the
1: perfect description of jazz. Yes. Absolutely. Like it's kind of genius.
0: And but you also ah. you just you get to see him experience music for the first yeah. or this specific sound this for sound. the first time. And it brings you back because you just see this absolute fucking peace. This complete just serenity that is enveloping him. Yeah. Hearing the sound for the first time.
1: And there is something, it's just, it is absolutely magical. It's magical. It's. It's almost a magical realism. I'm. I'm not. It's funny. I was literally just telling someone this yesterday. I hate magical realism and stuff. Like it drives me crazy. Um, this is almost like magical realism, but it's just in the way that it's depicted. It's not actually like it, Like this. This is. This is still all fact. You know what I mean? Like, right. All still Absolutely. Real. It's just that this is such an interesting way to visualize it. and such a refreshing way to visualize it. I think the the depiction of music in this book visually is so clear it's it's almost like discovering music for the first time yeah you know like it's it's so interesting and i i think it's i think it speaks to the power of this medium that like if a person had never heard music before they could read this and completely understand the effect that music has on the body on like the brain like it's it's so fascinating every time you know that we're seeing a performance uh he does this motif where you see little squares uh in front of the players for each note that's being played you know and it's like little squares overlapping you know and it's it's hard to describe it almost looks like like how like in movies with you know like a like a like a holographic heads-up display kind of thing, like an Iron Man kind of thing. Like how it's got like a little screen there. It kind
0: of gave me Spider-Verse vibes, which is a strange, I mean, it's a strange, you know, comparison to make, but like just the, the shapes and the abstract kind of floating around. And I love how also his specific sound changes. Yes. The illustration and the shape of it. Yes. Because at the start, he's trying to fit into a very specific sound. So his, mm-hmm. his music, his sound looks like the other sounds that are around him. Yeah, But then as time starts to go on, he starts to get more inspired and more influenced. You see, um, I think it's on page 21, his, mute, his shape starts to shift. Yeah. from what everybody else's is and by the time we get to i mean like halfway through the book
1: it's you know, is a very different it's more that, fluid energy it's yeah. it's plasmids you know <laughs> like it's a little we, blo- we it's, see it's fire we
0: see flame
1: yeah or at least that's
0: how i took it or smoke too like his sound is constantly evolving across the book much like his actual sound and his career. Yeah. And it is gorgeous to look at. It's incredible. Um, I also I want to give a quick shout to the um the rotating cast here, which is really, really cool. You get to see oh how much the um the lineup in a band changes, which I think is mm-hmm. kind of overlooked a lot of times. Um Miles Davis and really any like famous musician is not a, a one man band. No, the greatest musicians have solid support, have a solid supporting cast. And you get explanations throughout the book. When someone leaves the band, when someone comes in, what brought them in, why they left, how Mm -hmm. their sound looks to There's, I mean, the first time that he meets Horace Silver Like, you get to see what his piano sound looks like, and you can hear it because of how it's illustrated. Yeah, it's kind of incredible. And you see how much everyone's different sounds. Like, uh, page 33, every single panel is a different musician, and all of them have a different illustration to show what their sound sounds like and looks like. Yeah, and when it's all put together in the full frame of the page, it's gorgeous.
1: Yeah,
0: it's incredible. And you you get to see across the story how much he's influenced by the people in his life by the mm-hmm. by the you know when he starts being brought to uh, live performances and how that influences what's going on in his life, um, and influences his sound, but. You know what I do love about the story as well. I think we've been, you know, more or less romanticizing the story of Miles Davis in this. Is that this isn't a romantic book? Like no. the, the the way that no, and I've talked about this before. I feel like all good stories at their heart are love stories. I've talked about this very openly on the podcast. Mm-hmm. This is a love story, but it's not a romantic story. No. And it no. Doesn't, he's Ahab yeah
1: that's fuck
0: he's Ah. ahab. it's Ah. a a
1: tortured love story Ah. and that he he loves and wants to understand (laughs) this thing and is chasing this thing so hard it's the that's fucking incredible i took the title for granted when i read the title when i was getting this it truly is about a search for a sound like he is he is constantly looking for this one thing yeah and it is consumed him as a person small child yeah yeah he doesn't have an identity really past this. And I mean, you you get that with all the personal family stuff. Like he is he is so driven by this thing yeah. that it, it's consumed him as a person. He, you know, I mean, at the very beginning of the book, he's he is stunned when his uh partner and child <laughs> show up, <laughs> and yeah. that's like four pages in. He's like, Whoa, what the hell are you guys doing here? Because he's yeah. so focused on finding a thing, like he he's so removed from real life, otherwise. You know, and this goes very heavily into like his several bouts with addiction. Uh It doesn't you know, shy away from it. It doesn't shy away. It doesn't shy away from the fact that, in, in the words of Miles Davis, in this book, he's a real motherfucker. Like he's... boy, 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 is he, and does he
0: use that word with reckless abandon? <laughs> <laughs> this is why it can't be a Disney movie, kids. Because it's like he, every he's
2: other a panel. <laughs>
1: i i love i love the bit it's page uh 34 and 35 where after he's played he's sitting at the bar and this guy comes up and this is this guy oh, that he used to get yeah. high with and yeah. he's <laughs> just like motherfucker i am not here to talk and the guy walks there he's like Chavez ass motherfucker i was <laughs> like, like, like oh man this would be the best movie ever <laughs> like, it would be incredible like, This would be so good uh
0: and- and also, like, the rest of that scene is incredible as well because, you know, the, the club owner comes up and it's like – because Miles has just been sitting at the bar the entire yeah. time. And he's like, I didn't – like, you're confusing people in the audience. Like, I'm not paying you to sit at the bar. And Miles goes, what the fuck are you paying me for? And he's like, well – And the guy just <laughs> looks
1: at him. He's like, that's what I thought.
0: <laughs> and he puts out a cigarette walks up and fucking engulfs the room in
1: sound yeah
0: like that is a fucking star
1: and the way that that panel makes it look like it's smoke like yeah. this time the music coming out of the horn looks like smoke and it is it, it, so god the visual language of this book is incredible it's gorgeous it's truly incredible and
0: going back to what you were talking about, you know, we talk about a lot of the different sounds being given a visual, uh, a visual aid. The sound that Miles finds in that first, you know, four pages, you are looking for it just as much as he is in every scene, in every page. Every time he meets someone new, at least for me, like I'm hoping to see that sound again, yeah. and. Again, we're not going to spoil whether he ends up finding it or not. But
1: man, is it cool! No, but it's 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 truly it's truly Ahab searching for the whale. Yeah, like he he is. It ruins him. Yeah, whether he finds the sound or not, listeners, it ruins him. It ruins his life, and he doesn't. He just doesn't get it. <laughs> he just because doesn't he get is, that it's ruining his life. He is consumed by this.
0: But you also yeah. get to see how much like how much of an impact both he has on other people whether it be his partners whether it be people he meets record players um other musicians especially and you get to see how much the influences that he had before have on him like i was not i had no idea that him and charlie parker had this kind of relationship
1: this relationship yeah me neither
0: and that him and Coltrane had that kind of relationship. Yeah. Like, I was not aware of any yeah. of this stuff. And it's it's a really cool thing because you get to see – one of the things that I love about, um, for example, uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which sounds Ooh. like a weird comparison, but stick with me here. Uh, The the wonderful thing I love about stories of people coming up through like historical fiction and being performers or musicians or any kind of like creative field is how much and how often they run into uh, historical performers and how small those circles feel in that fiction. And it's like, well, of course, it's like it's it's the Doctor Who rule, like you got to run into historical figures yeah, but then you see stories like this and it's like oh no that shit's real yeah like talented people hang out with talented people yeah and they even if they don't hang out they find each other they, they send each- for each other that's the thing like, that
1: they find each other in this it's inc- that's wonderful
0: the scene where he meets Jimi hendrix and no. <laughs> i was like what
2: because
0: you just see him knocking on the door he's like where's jimmy and i was like the way it's spelled is obviously the same as jimmy hendrix and i was like yeah that's not the it couldn't be the same i was like no and then way the, you turn the page and there he is with fucking jimmy hendrix sick like the the musical journey of miles davis is just as important as the as the personal journey yeah. of miles davis like you see him like malcolm said and it's still fucking blowing my mind like consumed by this chase not unlike ahab chasing after moby dick and yeah. watching how much that not only inspires him but torments him is tragic mm-hmm. like you see several relationships deteriorate because of his oh so many
1: relationships the, just deteriorate, and also it's heartbreaking you know, because
0: he's not a perfect person no, and that's something that valuable. is, I think, taken away a lot of times in Biopics. Yes. Um and biopics. Because the estates
1: often have a controlling interest. And they yes.
0: want to make them look as pretty as possible. Yeah. And I understand that. Like there is there is a you know, th- there's an approach to making sure you don't, you know, disrespect those that have passed. But at the same time, you have to present them as who they were. You have to present them as, you know, as a, as truth. Yeah. And what this book does is show the truth of his story.
1: Yeah. With his own words as well. Uh, yes. A very important footnote at the beginning about how, you know, all this is from his actual autobiographical account. Yeah, Uh, and that's wonderful so like even if there is any kind of dramatization here you know you're still getting it's his dramatization it's it's his dramatization he's allowed to do it and it doesn't paint him in a good he's not a hero in this book he's not he's not a good person
0: even if he's the protagonist he's not a hero he's a piece of shit and that's a very big distinction to make
1: yeah it's incredible it's great
0: yeah, it says at the beginning, this nar- the narration in this book is adapted from Miles Davis' own words, from his autobiography, essays, and interviews. Yeah. And that does something to you as a reader, where you know going through this, like, this isn't going to be pretty. And I think in that way, it also, you know, the way the book starts with him in the doctor's office, showing the effects of the stroke. Yeah. And... You know, I had no idea that Miles Davis, you know, all I I hear Miles Davis, I hear, you know, jazz. He's a musician. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that he was an artist and that he became an artist through this. Nope. I, I had the no coolest idea. Coolest fucking thing. I had literally no idea. Whenever you discover that someone like who is insanely talented in one creative area has a secret talent in another, that's I think the that's the coolest fucking shit. It's like yeah. you are you you are doing a secret multi-class and you've been a bard this whole time <laughs> and all of a sudden yeah. oh shit he's also a monk my god <laughs> my god can punch What's good enemy too enemy <laughs> god damn <laughs> like it is it is the coolest thing to see somebody who is so fucking good also yeah. be really fucking good at other things too yeah Uh, But I love, I mean, again, showing the passage of time, watching characters grow and change, not in just their personal lives, but also in how they're illustrated. Like, I think there's a lot of, there there are some artists, I'm not going to say who, who have a hard time showing the passage of time on the Mm. faces of the characters they draw. Mm. Dave Chisholm is not one of those artists.
1: No, no but there's
0: a through line that doesn't make you know the kid who discovers the sound you can see the through line to the old man learning how to sketch
1: yeah and it's gorgeous it's it's really it's really rewarding um that's why this is something you can only – this is a tale that if you're going to tell it cinematically, you can only do it in, like, animation or something.
0: Yeah, cause, because cause Chisholm has to be heading up this art department.
1: Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He has to be involved. Um, what uh, What's your favorite relationship in this book?
0: I mean, it's got to be with Gil, right?
1: Ooh, I, okay. I, okay. I love I mean,
0: his relationship with Gil because – there Shit. is some there is something that I personally hold very near and dear about the idea of someone who sees you yeah and someone who knows you mm-hmm. and does not judge you
1: mm-hmm.
0: um Gil understands that miles is a troubled person and is yeah. not perfect and has screwed up a lot in his life but there is a scene and it I'm going to get choked up just talking about it now. Um, I full on cried. Um, his his name is Gil Evans and he was kind of the, um, the, I don't want to say a patriarch, but he was kind of the person who brought everybody together in those, yeah. com- in that, you know, like super talented people being talented community. And there is a scene where Miles is kind of at his lowest point. Um I I will look for it now, but I I'm not going to remember what the exact page number is. He is sitting alone, and he is at you know probably at his lowest point in in the story at least. Maybe not in his life, but in the story. And he gets a call from Gil. Answers the phone, and it's just music. And he's like, what the fuck is this? And Gil says, hey, basically, I know we haven't talked for a while. Do you remember this? This is Springville. If you're ever depressed, if you're ever having a tough time, just listen to this and remember the feeling we had making this. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking, I was sobbing. Like, Yeah. Yeah. I just.
1: Yeah, that shit hit me it
0: hit me so fucking hard
1: yeah.
0: and all i've been fucking listening to is springville, springville. like Spring- I, I was fucking listening to yeah. it when when malcolm got on you know yeah. got on the call here um i fucking love that moment and the two of them and it never you know you can tell that miles has a reverence for Gil. You know, and to it, in that point where we're talking about, you know, giving permission for people to be ugly, you don't see a lot of ugliness from Gil. No. Which is fine, because that's not how Miles saw
1: him. That's not how Miles, my- exactly.
0: And I just, you know, you, you, but at the same time, I mean, you have characters like Charlie Parker, who fucking, uh, and uh, Diz, who Miles idolized, you know, but in a very different way. And it doesn't shy away from Charlie's troubles either. So like, I don't know. There's something about his relationship with Gil that
1: I, I absolutely adore. What about you? Uh, my favorite relationship is with his father. Weirdly enough. I had no idea about how. That's a great. Enduringly supportive his father is. There's, there's so many moments in this where his, his father is a touchstone of support for him. And I, (laughs) It, it all it's gonna sound weird to say pay off but it pays off in this really interesting way where you know you start off chapter eight and his father dies yeah um and i think that that sequence that scene hit me the hardest in this book um of his dad getting in a car wreck and you know he gets his letter and he just never opens his letter and then he's told like oh yeah uh we got a call like the you know this guy at the club uh, lesson. They're like, hey, they just called a club order. Your father died. And he panics and reads this letter. And the letter is from his dad saying, like, Miles, a few days after you read this, I'll be dead. Take care of yourself. I truly loved you. And you made me proud. And it it dishevels him. Like, I it's... It's weird to put this in a real world context. I'm I'm going to just preface this right now. It sounds really <laughs> weird to put this in a real world and a modern context with other people, right? But it's interesting to see this uh, an artist who is so influenced or so you know uh, backed up and you know um, uh, supported by a parent uh, like Miles and his father, or like Kanye West and his mom um where Mm -hmm. i i always cite kanye's uh shift in personality and the person that he's become to his mom dying uh when Dona dies he becomes a very different person he becomes the kanye that we see now who Mm -hmm. uh you know would be an entirely unrecognizable person to kanye from 20 years ago right uh you know this is you know super super right-wing kanye uh you know, very strange choice Kanye, you know, just disheveled person Kanye. Yeah. Um, and that comes from his mom dying because his mom was his biggest supporter. You know, His mom was his, back, his biggest backup. And so when, when Miles' father dies in this, I'm like, okay, so that's where is this going to put him? And it's interesting how it affects him and how it, you know, it changes him a little bit uh, and changes the visual language of his music a little bit as well. I think that's when you really get into the, you know, the asymmetrical shaping of his music becoming, you know, taking more of a form and taking more of a form of his father. Um, You know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to see how that affected him. Um, Yeah. And and chapter eight is one of the darkest chapters in the book. It's really, it's really dark. Because it gets into
0: not just the death of his father, but. A lot of his troubles with his then wife at the time. There's yeah. A, there's another death of a character who he is very close to. Um. He does end up meeting uh, Cecily during this time, which I think is yep. great, and I love yeah. her so much. Yeah. Um. But yeah, chapter chapter eight is is a really tough time. But like you said, it's also in an artistic way and in the illustration, one of the most beautiful chapters as well. Yeah. And there are, I mean, there are no, there's no shortage of beautiful art in this book as we've been talking about. No. And there are, you know, more than a handful of double page spreads that absolutely boggle the mind. Do you have a, do you
1: have a favorite
0: double page spread?
1: Um, Favorite double page spread is here we go. Where are we? Uh, t- page twenty two and twenty three. Oh, uh, it's funny oh, that God. you mentioned um that Doc Shainer put you onto this book because <laughs> page twenty two and twenty three uh reminded me a lot of Doc Shainer um specifically the 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 Miles oh, part yeah. of this page. He looks so he Doc look, Shader. He looks so
0: there. Doc Shader. That's he true. Doc coded there,
1: which is wonderful. That's And then incredible. the rest of it—how everybody else pieces together into this, like, like it's like fluid puzzle pieces, like puzzle yeah. pieces made out of water that are just like fitting together. It's truly breathtaking. The, horns, the bass
0: yeah that, that is a
1: great shout dude that is such an incredible that's another page i spent like 10 minutes just looking at that page just oh. pouring over it um so that's my favorite double page spread my favorite single page spread is page 88 uh it's the john coltrane died page um yeah which my god if i could have that page Holy as a poster, shit. yeah if i could have that as a poster like that's 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 liquid sex right there. It's so good. For sure. It's just gorgeous. Uh, it what about you? What's you your do you favorite play? double page and single page? So, Oh, man. I didn't think about the single page. Because um, there's so many great single page spreads there's so in there. You know, like many... so many. Just one page, beautiful shot. Like,
0: So I think one the one that...
1: So obviously I think
0: probably the coolest one is... Um, is uh, 100 and 101. The double page spread there where Miles just kind of like, at least in that moment, has assembled his Avengers and is just- Oh, it yeah. Down. Yeah. The double page spread is probably the coolest out of all of them for me. It's so cool. With but them the... all like
1: on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> burning Lord. the house down.
0: Yeah, uh-huh. man. But the one that like, i was reading and it fucking like made me sit up straight in my chair is um is pages 74 and 75 where they show Saeta?
1: yes recording yes
0: this double page spread i turned the page because it's it's miles taking inspiration from uh from spanish music yeah and you turn the page, and it just made me bolt upright because this yeah. thing is fucking gorgeous. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah,
1: that's an, ama- that's an amazing like, page.
0: This is a fucking poster. This is a poster. Yeah, and I'm try- and I was trying so hard to think about because it reminds me of someone's art very specifically, but I can't think of who it is. And it's just it's incredible. Cause it's, it's this beautiful, like Spanish town and it's got the architecture, the architecture throughout this book is fucking incredible. The architecture throughout the
1: book is incredible
0: and so in, detailed. In this double page spread in particular is just absolutely yeah. gorgeous. And it shows this, essentially the spirit of Miles Davis playing above this crowd scene. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, if I had to do a single page, I am... You're getting some uh, some ASMR of me flipping through pages.
1: Mm, you can only do that with a physical book, baby. You can only do that with
0: physical... That's another point that I want to get into in a second. Um, but yeah. Do, do you have another single page that you can uh, um, talk about while I try hmm. to figure out where I'm going with this? Uh,
1: It's... It's towards the end. Uh... Uh, there we go. Okay. Uh it is so it's it's properly in the epilogue. It's the I believe their music is still around somewhere page. Oh uh, fuck. Which yeah. is almost like a double page spread, actually. It's I mean it's it's the wrap-up of the story, but you're you know it's it's older Miles walking onto the stage and in almost like technicolor watercolors above him you see all the all the guest stars of the book um you know who it, it, have led to Mist his journey to this point Jean Valjean yes goes on to the uh yes it is that is a very good <laughs> fucking call <laughs> yeah that's actually exactly what it is <laughs> um it's it, it feels so properly like an epilogue moment like this this is the end of a movie, you know, of Miles yeah. Davis walking up and you're, you're getting the flashes of everyone who's touched his life. Um, but it's specifically all of the musical influences that have touched his life. And I think it's so specific that it's all of them. And it's none of the, it's none of the women, it's not his children, it's none of the people, it's all the musical influences. Yeah. Um, that have touched his life and that he's been in orbit of you know even even down to Jimmy you know even down to <laughs> it's, Jimmy
0: there he is it's
1: it's so interesting that that's what it is and then leading i mean it's again a very cinematic ending you yeah. know of him walking up crowds pumped bands ready to play he puts the horn to his mouth and right before he plays credits it's so fucking cinematic. It's so cinematic, you know, like it's, and it's funny. Uh, I've been listening a lot to, uh, 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 I first, first off music is a very like special thing to me. I don't listen to music a lot because I treat it so special. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a real treat. It's a cookie from the cookie jar, you know, like I, I, just don't do it a lot. Uh, and when I do, it's often like the same thing, like over and over again. You know, I get yeah. attached to like an album that I listen to over and over again. Uh, sure. Folks, I'm a big Olivia Rodrigo stand, So like the oh, back half man. of this year has just been, you know, uh, the newest Olivia Rodrigo album. Just on repeat. <laughs> uh, guts all the way, baby. Album of the year. Um, but I've been listening a lot to the Spider-Verse score, the Across the Spider-Verse score, which score I think is, is incredible. And I think... incredible. I think Across the Spider Verse has uh, there's bits of that score that have a lot of jazz vibe to it, um, mm-hmm. specifically with you know the Gwen drumming of it all. But this feels very much like the music that plays at the end of that movie uh, as you're getting that epilogue, and this feels very much like the end of that movie as you get in the you know, the wrap up of, yeah. okay, Gwen's assembled her team. Like they're, they're all about to go, go off, yeah. you know, and you get the heavy drums and it, it feels very much like that moment. Uh, and then cut off, you know, like it, it's, that was, that was what really cinched it for me of like, Ooh, Oh yeah, yeah, this needs to be an animated movie. An like I would love to see this as a movie, but it needs to be animated like because sure. <laughs> this whole like last sequence just Like I said, the Technicolor watercolors of it are uh, so... You know, it's... Course. Spider-Verse... Uh, it re- really shows how you could do that very well in an yeah. animation. Um, God, I love this book. I love it's, this book.
0: It's so good. I uh, Okay, so I found two page? single-page spreads that I really Hand want to talk it. about. Um, first one is eight, page 83. It is... And both of them involve miles and his uh and his band it's in chapter yes um yes it's exactly what you're talking about about showing how his style is changing yeah showing all the different um different shapes the way that a lot of times especially with musicians or but i think with any kind of performer creative the events surrounding your life and your emotions and your mental state will always come through in what you create Mm -hmm. and seeing this is it's gorgeous. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, the illustration, the shapes, the geometry involved in all of it is astounding. And then this is
1: when it's very clear. Like that's, that's his father that's coming out of, out of his horn. Like that's, that's so interesting. Absolutely. Um, and then my other pick yeah. is uh,
0: page 106. It's the start of chapter 10. And this is just for me.
1: Yo, This was a full page Yo. just for me. I I'm glad fucking this love
0: this page rules. little people on a blank background.
1: Holy I shit. am a yeah. sucker
0: for little people. Yeah, And basically, you know, it's Miles assembling his team, right? And so the, the, the narration reads, during this time, I was using a lot of different musicians on my records and in my working group too. I was always looking to see which combinations worked best. I, use, I used some more than others, some maybe only once. They became known in the musical world as Miles Stock Company Players. And you see bass, percussion, Indian percussion, keyboard, drums, guitar, saxophone or woodwind and you see all of the different players Mm -hmm. that came in and out of miles's lineup and from here just with the amount of characters on the page you would have to get very very small to fit them all in here and yeah dave chisholm just goes okay they're gonna be real, real small but the amount of character the, that yes. is in every single one of them yes and it's, not it's just, incredible it's not just their wardrobe each one of them is playing instruments differently each one of them has a different mm-hmm. stance each one of them has a different vibe and just from looking at it you can be like okay that vibe matches with that vibe that color matches with that color when it comes to their yeah. clothes like the combinations in here are fucking endless yeah and it's like it's magic And that's what you can do with music. Yeah. Like it was, it captured my fucking brain and I was staring at this page for 15 minutes, just going, okay, they can go there. They can go there. They can go there.
1: Yeah. I think, I think there's a very clever thing done with the colors there of, you know, you can match them up almost just easily from the colors you know yeah. and so you know like oh okay so a Pete Cosy goes with a Gary Barts who goes with a Bernard Purdy you know because they're all wearing the green orange combination yeah. you know and you're, so you're, like you're, you're you're building up your decks yeah you're like, bu- okay. yeah you're building your deck
0: like i got a i got a, i got set. a shiny john stubblefield and i'll trade you for <laughs> your uh your your badal roy like i love it it's incredible. I, I fucking love it so much. It's amazing. That's a
1: great page.
0: I love it. It, oh, man. It's so fucking good. But honestly, like, again, this book is chock full of so many great just standalone pieces of art. Like, you fucking, you go, uh, you turn the page. It's literally three pages later. Miles consumed by the music. Mm-hmm as he plays and everyone gets fucking inspired this scene in general this scene in general this yeah this whole
1: sequence is really is incredible, incredible. and i'm sorry
0: yeah. i'm gonna fucking spoil it because it's incredible so like we've got three musicians that are in the room uh miles's weight is talking uh in the uh in the actual like uh recording booth but they're in the studio and they're like oh man like i'm so fucking excited like to be here and they're like well let's just fucking play until he gets in here and the uh the guitarist is like "Ah, oh, miles doesn't want us to play man like he 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 wants us to be like together and the guitarist who let me let me look at the uh the group we've got here <laughs> let me see if i can pull it. i think this is john McLaughlin. yeah it's gotta be he's like I just want to fucking play, man. Let's just do it. And the other guitarist is just like, well, I mean, I guess we could play a little bit. And he's just like, I mean, the the first tune is, uh, it's in B flat, right? And McLaughlin just starts going in E major. And the first guitarist is like, wait, that's not B flat. But they start fucking feeling it. Yeah, that's got to be... I'm feeling the music.
1: I'm, I'm thinking that's... uh. I'm thinking that's Cornell. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm thinking that's Cornell. Yeah, and they're yeah.
0: just like... They're going back and forth and they're jamming and they're having a great time. And halfway through, they start just moving. You see the shape of the music you know, having this very particular shape, this very particular color, this very particular sound. Um eventually McLaughlin moves into into B flat Mm -hmm. and because he notices that Miles has gotten in here, but Cornell has not noticed. So he is now playing an E minor. And you hear or I keep saying you hear because you could fucking see. You could fucking hear it reading it. You can hear it, yeah. You hear Miles hear it and he knows immediately to go where to go in. And it says, Listen, there are no mistakes. It's not the note you play that's the wrong note. It's the note you play afterward that makes it right or wrong. And you see him just listen to what they're playing and he just starts. And you see his sound fucking immediately meld yeah. into them and they and it makes it something beautiful. And they still end up on B flat major. Yeah, and you just see them fucking jam, and it's one of the coolest fucking it scenes.
1: It rules. Uh, the constant motif of him specifically, like absorbing the music. Yeah, I think it's so interesting that like, he he's almost absorbing it, like taking it in like its life force. Uh, it's going in through his ears, and then you always get some kind of result. And so the the results of him getting going into his ears. One ear is like purple. One ear is like fire red. And then it comes out as this like light blue like plasma energy, yeah. you know, that's just surrounding everyone and influencing everyone, and it's it's so interesting. It's, it's so cool. interesting. It's, it's co- such it's a it's feeding a
0: soul, like yeah. Oh, it's so good. I also want to give a quick shout to this quick scene. It's a uh, page one nineteen to page one twenty. Um, one of his former partners comes to drop off their son. Uh, this is, <laughs> this while, My- while Miles is still like getting into drawing, and he's sitting there and he's just sitting there, not sketching because you know he's still trying to get the feeling in his hand. And his son is playing with a Batman toy. Yeah. And this is what
1: year is this? So this think, is eighty. You know? This is eighty-three or eighty-two. 83. Yeah.
0: And so he's just sitting there, and he looks up and he sees uh, his son Aaron playing with his Batman. And he's just, he's like, I like comic books? And he just goes, I don't know, I guess they're pretty cool. And he just goes, come on. Let's draw a little bit.
1: Let's draw a
0: little bit. <laughs> I love and it. it's like, it works on so many levels. First of all, because yeah. I'm a big fucking nerd. And it's Batman. But Halloween. also, you know, this is a moment and we are not uh, 120 pages into the story and a big part of miles's story in this is his neglect of his family Mm -hmm. and this is a moment very late in his life some would say too late but very late in his life where he makes that connection yeah and it's it's amazing it works on a both a really funny level because it's got that uh that sequential sequencing that that's a term that's now a term yeah. sequential yeah. sequencing
1: sequential sequencing i love it
0: um that we love with like our robert kirkman's and whatnot but it also is just a kind of touching moment between two essential strangers i love it
1: that's great love
0: it. this book's incredible it's it's incredible and people you need to go read it you need to experience
1: it for yourself um, Yeah, we're, we're has, talking around a lot of stuff yeah because, because there, we want you to go read this there is truly and it's like a hundred and you know 40 page book like there is truly yeah. a lot it it took me a while to read through this there's there's a lot of content there's a lot of story there's a lot of a lot of pain yes You know, and I I think this is, this is a book about, this is a story about pain. And I didn't realize that about Miles Davis before, you know, is how, how fraught this was. Like, like we said before, you know, this is truly a search for a sound and how one is driven to very dark places in this pursuit, you know, which is, which is really interesting. It's, listeners, it's worth, it's worth picking up. Yeah, for sure. Put this it, on the Christmas list. Get this for your dad for Christmas. Like, I'm—I I literally got a copy for my dad because <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh this, that's is so cool. this is gonna be so cool. This gonna be my dad's Christmas. That's gift. so cool. You know, he's not the biggest jazz guy, but I think he'll really respect this. Like, yeah, I—I I think this is gonna be his exact kind of shit. oh um, yeah.
0: And and there is, you know, again, we talked about it before. This book doesn't shy away from the dark parts.
1: No of
0: the story but it also is so fucking inspiring and also has one of the silliest artistic renditions of Prince that I've ever seen in my goddamn life <laughs> it's hilarious
1: it's so it's good hilarious. it's so um, good oh my god <laughs> <laughs> I love Prince so much they even look like such a fucking goof they made him like... look like <laughs> such a goofy dude and it's so
0: fun um, Dave Chisholm who I just did a quick Google search. He is not black. He is maybe the whitest artist you could find looking. No to. way. It's, it's kind of wild, but he's no also a jazz way. musician. He's also okay, a legit jazz sense. musician, which again,
1: uh, talking about
0: black, <laughs> really talented people being talented in other areas. Um, it's kind of incredible because the the art itself gives me very like Sanford Green vibes. And I don't know, man. like it's evergreen is a good show, yeah, you know i you you would not know that Dave Chisholm may be the whitest guy you know, uh, <laughs> after reading this whoa, look at him, whoa, look at him. It's kind of wild. whoa, but again okay. that's, that speaks to. <laughs> That speaks to how much love is put into this book and into this story and how this story of one person chasing an obsession can be universal. It's kind of beautiful in that way. I I love this story.
1: Dave Chisholm, open invitation to come on the podcast.
0: Opening the, you know what? When, when we round back onto this and we do the Charlie <laughs> Parker book, Dave Chisholm,
1: come on the podcast. Please, please come on.
0: And tell us how to pronounce your last name. Yeah. Definitively. Um
1: I would love I would love to meet you. <laughs> my god. I mean, I just just looking at the cover of this. Yeah. Is so intimidating. The, it's funny because it I have is. my copy sitting next to me and I'm looking at his website right now, and the first thing that comes up is the cover of this. And it, it takes me back every time. Like the cover of this is so interesting. Yeah. It god. Your visual style, man, he, let me tell you, he draws black better than most black artists draw black. (laughs) Like this is, this is the exact kind of vibe I want. Like this. And I I could have sworn a brother drew this book. That's really, (laughs) that's really blowing my mind right now. That's really blowing my mind. I can't believe that shit. That's
0: crazy. And genuinely like for when the, uh, the eventual animated film adaptation does come out. This is your fucking poster. That's the thing.
1: This is your poster. That's all you have to do. That's all you need. I want to see that in, in a movie theater hallway. Yeah. I want to sit this, see this sitting in a little AMC. Yeah. Like that, that belongs. Like it's, it's perfect.
0: But yeah, it's overall just, it's an incredible story. I'm glad we sat down to talk about it. I'm glad we read it. Um, David Chisholm again, uh, let's 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 meet up for that charlie parker book bro um, open invitation you come on invitation. all the time
1: dog uh, you like green let's... arrow come on the book club, bro <laughs> 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 let's talk some green arrow i don't know shoot <laughs> oh man
0: but it's it's an incredible story go pick it up make it a christmas present uh make it a christmas present for yourself uh this is a long winding story over half a century of someone searching for a very specific sound, but sometimes all we have to do to find that sound is listen. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we are reviewing The Giggle. This is the third of three 60th anniversary specials featuring the 14th Doctor played by David Tennant and his companion Donna Noble played by Catherine Tate. And this also features not one... But two doctors. More on that in a second. And it also happens to feature David Tennant's what third regeneration, I think, because he did the 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 fake out one that created the Metacrisis Doctor. Then he did the real one, and now he has his own regeneration, sort of. Uh, more on that in a second. But honestly, I have to say, I've been loving the 60th anniversary specials um I was speaking with a friend and they mentioned that these haven't felt like anniversary specials they have felt more like just episodes in a season and I kind of see where they're coming from but at the same time I mean it's just been a delight having uh, Tennant and Tate back they've been incredible and I think this does serve as a very nice passing of the torch from New Who into the what is it called now the universe uh, from David Tennant to Shuri Gatwa I absolutely loved this episode this has everything you could want in a Doctor Who episode it's got camp it's got silly it's got serious it's got dark it's got creepy and it's got triumphant, fist-pumping moments. This episode was incredible. Pitting the 14th Doctor and Donna Noble as well as Unit in its entirety, which means we get to see Kate Lethbridge-Stewart. I fucking love her so much. Um, as well as a, a, just out of left field, did not see her coming, Melody from the 6th and 7th Doctor era. Who has absolutely aged like fine wine. She was a treasure in this episode. I loved her dynamic with Donna. I loved the Aunt Melanie or Auntie M, I think they got at the end uh, energy that she had in this. Um, this episode was incredible. Uh, a full on roller coaster. And at the heart of it all, David Tennant's performance as the Doctor is just, it's legendary. I mean, he has moved up for me, I think, in the rankings for best Doctors. And, I, you know, there's some discrepancy I think you can take with, oh, are we talking about the 10th Doctor or the 14th Doctor? They're technically two very different Doctors. And yes, absolutely that is true. But when it comes to actors themselves... Tennant is, I mean, he's up there with the greats. He always has been, but he really solidified that, that spot for me when it comes to uh, performances as the Doctor. And what I love about this show, it's strange, right? What I love about this show, what I love about this version of the Doctor is is how tired he is, how much life he's lived. We've seen this before, especially with Peter Capaldi's Doctor, how tired he gets just with everything, with the millions of years that he's lived, just beating his head against a wall or punching a diamond mountain. You know, it's it can weigh on him. And... Tennant is one of those actors that you can rely on to give you that kind of performance of weight and gravity and loss and depression. The doctor's depressed, gang, and I really was kind of taken aback by them going this route. I mean, we've said before that David Tennant's doctor is, at least for the 10th doctor, is the most human of all the doctors, and... It makes sense why they would want to tell the story with him. Uh, I love what they did for him as a character. I love that they gave him more or less an ending. You know, they they do the by generation which we'll talk about in a second. And then he gets to kind of settle down and just be and just live a life and... Who knows where he goes from here? I have a theory that I'll talk about in a second. But I just I love everything about what he does in this episode. Um, He is our swashbuckling doctor hero. He is uh, the man who will stand up and take the bullet for the entire human race. He is just he's everything. He's the doctor period. Uh, Donna Noble played by Catherine Tate, was phenomenal. Uh, She always is, but getting her, you know, to also have an ending, whether it's uh, her getting offered the job by Kate and then having a little picnic at the end with everybody, uh, I just, I love i love donna noble i love Catherine tate i love that we got to square that circle when it comes to donna's story and that she does get to remember everything she gets to live her life knowing the adventures that she went on with the doctor and the adventure that they've got yet to go on which is normal life um i love love loved seeing neil patrick harris as the villain the celestial toy maker he was an odd choice, right, when the when the cast list went up and it's like, no, know, Patrick Harris is the villain here. It's like, what is this? But then you see the Spice Up Your Life scene, and you know exactly why they hired him. Uh, what a freaking sequence. I absolutely adored that. I also love that they brought back the Celestial Toymaker, who was a long, long ago uh, Doctor Who villain. And having him not only be the absolute fifth dimensional imp that he is, uh, they give some interesting backstory where he talks about how uh, at some point after the Power of the Doctor episode that brought us to the 60th anniversary specials, um, the Celestial Toymaker was challenged to a game by the Master, and the Master lost so he's been imprisoned in this gold tooth um at the end of the story once the uh sl- once the toy maker has been locked away uh the tooth drops and it is picked up by a a hand of what i can assume to be a lady person however this could also be teasing Jinx Monsoon in Doctor Who, which we know we know she's going to be there. So I I don't know, could be interesting, could be very interesting. But yeah, giving you know Neil Patrick Harris as the Toy Maker the gravitas to really dig into some dark places when it comes to the sequences in the uh, in the episode, while also Absolutely just giving him the most wonderful Mr. Mixus Pitalik episode that you could get from a Superman show. Um, all I could see during the Spice Up Your Life sequence, I was like, okay, this is how Mixus Pitalik should, this is how Mixie should be presented in the new DC film, in the new DC films. Um, it just, just incredible, incredible stuff. Uh, Like I said already, I love the companions. Uh, Melanie getting some time to shine was really fun. Kate did great. But let's talk about that by generation. I did not know how to feel about by generation. About taking a doctor or taking a time lord and splitting them. If potentially only momentarily. Uh this was a crazy concept, but we all know that Russell T. Davies thrives in those kinds of situations. So I really dug what he had to uh, had to put together there. I also, maybe it's a hot take, really fucking dug shooting got to his doctor. I knew I would! I knew he was gonna be incredible, but Just having him on screen, he is a freaking powerhouse and immediately takes all attention from everywhere else. In the room, in the scene, in the show. And he was electric. He was dynamic. He was the doctor. You know, the moment where they have that first bi-generation and David Tennant goes, you're me. And Shooty goes, no, I'm me. I think I'm really, really me, was a cool way to establish Shudigatwa's doctor as the doctor while also giving him his own flavor, right? You know, there's there's a line that he says during the episode where he's like, you know, we're do we're time lords, we do therapy out of order. And I love the idea of having the two doctors. I love that the fifteenth doctor is trying to absolve and forgive the fourteenth doctor. That um, they have this re—they have a couple really tender moments of just incredible self-love, and I love that. Um, we also got the greatest thing that you could do in a comic book, film, TV show, whatever—is make the. Make the stakes dire, but the circumstances silly, where more or less the fate of the world and indeed the fate of the universe rests on a hacky sack game. You know, it's it's wild, and it's not exactly hacky sack; they're just playing catch. But like, it's so cool to see how inventive they get, what they plan on. You know. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm hoping that this is just a tease for things to come and that they're planning more silly things like this because I loved it. I really, really did. But Shudi Gatwa's 15th Doctor was amazing. Just no words can describe the energy that he brought into the set and into the show. Um, I'm glad that he gets to keep the TARDIS design because it, drives so hard and he's got a little accessible step to allow people who are uh using wheelchairs to get into the TARDIS now um he was incredible he was incredible and I didn't know how to feel about the bi-generation at first but now after thinking about it and after going through kind of my thoughts on what it may represent I really dig it because there's two trains of thought with the with the um With the David Tennant doctor now being locked away and that's his deal. He could either go with the 14th doctor who basically gets to retire while the 15th doctor goes off and gallivants across space and time. Gets to just chill. And over time, he gets to experience new lives. You know, he... There's a possibility where he becomes the curator and we see him eventually turn into Tom Baker meets up with, um, with Matt Smith during the 50th, you know, there, there could be something very fun that goes on with this. I also think that it is possible. I don't know how this would work, but like the 15 doctor said, they do their therapy out of, out of order. And he immediately goes off to travel the stars and, probably most of London as well just because it is still a BBC production no matter how much Disney money they get I'm interested to see if he gets to relax gets to chill and eventually lives his life to the point that he passes away and then you know the the 14th doctor's energy becomes regeneration energy goes into the 15th doctor and then bada bing bada boom there you go but I don't know. There, there are a lot of thoughts and I've, I've only watched it once. I need to watch it a couple more times to really, I think, get a handle on it. But the whole thing was incredible and I would not give it up for anything. For any kind of like traditional 60th anniversary or whatever. Like we got a big old 50th anniversary special 10 years ago. So I like that this was spread out. I like that we got a little bit more time with each of the characters. And I like that ultimately it got me hyped as hell to go to Christmas and see Shuri full on in force in costume. It's going to be great. It's going to be great it's going to be a wild ride and I cannot wait two weeks is too far let me tell you but that is going to do it for the weekly review um, following this we're going to be taking a bit of a bit of a break with the weekly reviews so uh, stay tuned for what the weekly review might turn into next but for now let's roll right on into this week's comics countdown <laughs> Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown for the week of December 13th, 2023. December is almost over, which means 2023 is almost over, and I do not know how to feel about that. But this is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, whether you go to your local comic shop and buy them in physical whether you buy them in digital these are the comics I think you should definitely take a look at but before we get into this week's books we got to take a look back at last week's books with the geek explain pick of the week of last week and gang I'm going to be honest with you it was uh it was real tough cuz we had some bangers come out last week and i really really loved everything that i read but ultimately i chose birds of prey number four what kelly thompson and leonardo romero are doing on that book is just next level uh the wonder woman the bat girl the barda everything that they're doing with that book is so freaking good and if you are not reading it you are doing yourself a huge disservice but that's last week's books this week i've got eight books to check out so let's go ahead and dive on into the list with action comics number 1060 this is the end of the philip kennedy johnson regime when it comes to the superman books this is of course written by philip kennedy johnson as well as steve orlando and nicole Maines and joe casey don't forget about Joe Casey with art by Dan McDade, Fico Osio as well as Eddie Barrows and Ibra Ferreira. And like I said, this is the end of the uh the PKJ action comics saga more or less we pretty much wrapped up the main stuff so now this is kind of like a a tertiary uh issue be- before the reins get handed off to Jason Aaron and I believe John Timms on art next month so real big stuff in store I do think that PKJ gets a bad rap for his work on Superman it wasn't my favorite but that warworld saga uh big old collection is selling out every which way so he must have been doing something right i don't know but let's dive into the synopsis and see what the last issue of johnson's tenure has in store for us guest starring constantine Etrigan, and bloodwind a mistake from Superman's past has returned, and Metropolis hangs in the balance as the Super Family is betrayed from within and stripped of their powers one by one. Superman sets out on a suicide mission into the multiverse alongside the unlikeliest of allies, Constantine, the demon Etrigan, and, making his return to action comics, Bloodwind. Plus, during Beast World in Metropolis, Dreamer has a run-in with life-changing consequences, and Zod's son begins to suspect New Candor isn't as peaceful as it seems in the prelude to Kneel Before Zod. Number one. That's right. That's coming out next year, too. Um, yeah, so this seems like a great little uh, great little button, great little epilogue for the main story that Johnson has been kind of telling over the course of his uh, Action Comics run, and I'm looking forward to picking this up. Next up, we've got The Immortal Thor, number five. This is written by Al Ewing with art by Martin Cocholo and... This book rules, gang. It's, it's really good. It's really freaking good. And we got an incredible tease last week about the return of the Thor Corps. So let's dive into the synopsis and see what's going on. The all-new Thor Corps. Well, there you go. Tornos has returned, and to face him, the king of Asgard has gathered his army. But if even an army of storm gods cannot stop the Elder God of Thunder, what then? This is the story of the immortal Thor and the battle that will define him. Wild. I'm excited. This is going to be a good one. Uh, Al Ewing's been absolutely crushing it this year, so I am, I am not surprised that this is uh, blockbuster storytelling at its finest. Next up, we have a conclusion. It's Danger Street number 12. This is written by Tom King with art by Jorge Fornes. I love this cover. I love this Breakfast Club homaging cover. It looks fantastic. This book consistently has surprised me every single month. I never know what I'm going to crack into when I open its pages. And there's a magic in that. There really, really is. I've been loving the book from beginning to end. It hasn't always been a straightforward line, but I am so excited to see how this wraps up. So let's see what's going on. It all ends here. Will the outsiders be accepted by society? The green team finally get what they deserve? The sky be saved from falling? All this and more as Lady Cop closes the case on the murders of Danger Street. You'll have to read it to believe it. So yeah, uh, I'm. what I'm really excited for is when this is all collected. This is one of those Tom King books where it's going to, I think, read really, really well in the trade. Um... There was something kind of magical each month about kind of taking it as a uh, as a continuation of a TV series that you have to wait week to week to find out what's going to happen next but I'm curious what it's going to be like to read it all together and now that it's all out and hopefully collected very soon I'm I can't wait for people to really crack into this it's going to be fun to see people rediscover this story next up we have Captain America number four this is written by JMS J. Michael Straczynski with art by Lan Medina where is Jesus Saez I love Lan Medina's art. I think he's doing incredible work. Last issue was really, really great. But I feel like this keeps happening, where I keep signing on for Jesus Saya's art books, and then he does not stick around on art. It makes me sad. But, again, Lan Medina, no disrespect, absolutely crushing it right now, and I'm excited to see what he's got in store for us in the visual form when it comes to this battle between Cap and the Emissary. So the synopsis goes like this. The enemy strikes when the mysterious organization targeting Captain America goes on the offensive. Steve Rogers thinks he's prepared, but the battle is not what it seems. Who or what is the emissary? I'm excited about this. The, the emissary has been presented as a credible threat for Cap. So I'm, I'm really I'm looking forward to this. Again, I've talked about it before. I love that this is a much more small-scale, intimate-style story. Even though we are dealing with Hydra and all the bullshit that comes with that, but I, I I love it. I love it. Also, I haven't mentioned it before, but the the logo for this slaps. It's really freaking good. I've I I don't know if I've mentioned it, but I just I love how big, bold, and. Uh, s- like old school serial the title the title card the logo looks so just a just a little thing for me next up we have superman Lost number nine the penultimate chapter in christopher priest and his uh his superman saga and this time he's joined by a slew of incredible artists including carlo pagulian dan jergens jason paz and brett breeding he has assembled his own little mini uh, Superman family of artists to tell what I am expecting to be maybe the best chapter of the story so far. We've been waiting for this. Uh, the the ending of last issue is one of the most hype collection of panels that I've read all year. It's been freaking incredible. Um, so the synopsis goes like this. As a Green Lantern from Superman's past creates chaos in the present, Clark grapples with the idea of losing Lois for good. As her sickness rapidly escalates, Lex Luthor watches from the wings, waiting for the Man of Steel to crack under the pressure. Could karma be coming for the richest man in Metropolis? Uh, This cover seems to uh, suggest just that. I, I've been waiting for this. You know, Christopher Priest has done a great job in keeping Lex out of the spotlight when it comes to this story. And it's really only in the back half of this that he's really started to appear. And he has made himself not not the villain of the story, but definitely it, 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 it's it's interesting. And I, I'm trying not to, like, spoil it so that people who haven't read it do go read it because it's an incredible twist. But he's doing the wrong thing for the right reason, and that's classic Lex, right? So I'm I'm really looking forward to picking this up. This is going to be a great issue. Next up, we have Guardians of the Galaxy number 9. This is written by The Hive Mind, Jackson Lansing, Colin Kelly with art by Kev Walker. I'm really mad that this is almost over, gang. I'm really mad that this is only 11 issues. I understand, I understand, I understand that The Hive Mind... Had this as 11 issues from the beginning, but man, it doesn't make it sting any less, especially when this story has been so good and introduced so many cool concepts like the everything, everywhere, all at onceification of Mantis, which I am absolutely excited to dive into with this issue. So let's dive into the synopsis and find out what's going on. Mantis's mission, Earth. The Guardians of the Galaxy have all had to change and adapt since the Groot Fall began, but none more than Mantis. What fractured Mantis, and what secrets has she been keeping from the team? It's time to put the past to bed, and there's only one thing that can help the Guardians do it. An Infinity Stone. God damn it, they just can't stay away from those glowing rocks. Uh, no, I'm I'm excited about this. The Mantis stuff has been probably the most... Uh, or probably my favorite part about the change-ups that the hive mind did for the core guardians cast and i'm excited to kind of dig into why this happened why now um, that's that's what i'm hoping for uh, the hive mind you know alluded to it in our last interview that uh we're gonna get some answers here so i'm very very excited to pick this up next up we have world's finest teen titans number six this is it this is the last issue of this series. You know, people just... People just can't... Can't give us nice things for very long. I understand this was supposed to be a miniseries. I get that. I understand. But I am going to be bitter that we didn't get 100 issues of this. Uh, this is written by Mark Wade with art by Emanuela Lupacino and Mike Norton. And this is going to bring to a head the anti-Titans storyline, which I really enjoyed. Um... The story's been really fun. It's just been really, really fun. I love Mark Wade's world's finest line of books. Uh, it's, it's a line. It's only been two two titles, but I really I'm I'm excited to see where else this you know this offshoot timeline goes. It's fascinating to me that he's starting to build out his own little uh, his own little corner for the DC universe. I don't know if we can fold. Uh, Shazam into that even though that is you know that that book so far has been his baby and Shazam last week woof so freaking good but I love that we are getting these Silver Age style stories with modern sensibilities It's it's something that I love and I'm sad that this is going away but hopefully we're going to get more stories with even more characters in this time period and with killer creative teams like this so let's dive into the synopsis the Anti-Titans Strike. The Super Showdown! It's the Teen Titans versus the Anti-Titans in the melee of the miniseries, with Lilith, Gnark, and Mal joining in on the side of our heroes. After the last blow is dealt, the Titans must face something even more uncertain than battle. Change. Oh no! The dreaded Titans word, change! Uh, Mal helps Aqualad make sense of his dating dilemma. Bumblebee second guesses her growing feelings for Mal. Donna must choose between Paradise Island and Man's World. And Robin and Speedy try to reach a resolution. One thing that I've loved about this is the melodrama of it all. There is something that, you know, when I was a kid watching the Teen Titans cartoon, that I loved about the characters was watching them deal with their interpersonal shit right? Getting into why they did things or made certain decisions, the drama, the arguments, the, the, you know, coming together despite their differences. And the story of that show is the inevitable, you know, the inevitable struggle against change and how change is always coming. And I love, I love the idea of the Titans as this kind of um, time in a bottle, where it's like, things are really good. Even when they're, you know, shaky, and they're on choppy waters, things are good here, but inevitably things are going to change. And that kind of story is... Oh, I love shit like that. So I am really excited to pick this up, and I'm I'm almost 100% certain this is going to be a great send-off for this series. But... Speaking of send-offs, the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is X-Men Red, number 18. This is written by Al Ewing with art by Yildre Senyar. I, I apologize if I pronounced that incorrectly. I really do. I love this book, right? When this was first announced, I thought, incredible, we've got the... Uh, continuing adventures of Al Ewing in space. And it very quickly became... One of, if not my favorite, X-Book going on at the time. If you go back into our X-May coverage this year, um, I did, you know, our our big finale episode with the X-Wife podcast, who are amazing. Go check them out, uh, where we did the Best of X tournament, a single elimination knockout style tournament where we decided what the best X-Book was. And I'm not going to spoil it for you, but X-Men ranked pretty high in that tournament so uh big episode go check that episode out but i have loved uh x-men red for a very long time and i'm sad to see it go i understand why it's going away but i'm still sad about it but this book has been incredible the genesis war has been fantastic we've got the return of apocalypse now so let's dive into the synopsis and see how everything gets wrapped up final battle I love how definitive and epic this sounds. Uh, Their armies have clashed and torn a world apart. Now, finally, the two war leaders meet. Storm versus Genesis for the fate of the Red Planet, as the planet itself fights alongside them. Will planet Arako survive? And more is the secret dream of En Sabanur about to come true. (sighs) This is going to be great. This is going to be great. I'm excited. I'm really, really stoked to read this. I kind of wish we had gotten like a year of the Genesis War to really sell how big this war has been. But I think in the limited issues that they've had allotted to them to wrap everything up before, you know, Fall of X next month, uh, they've done everything that they could to make this feel like a gigantic war that's happening among the stars. They should have a term for that. I don't know. Uh, But I've loved this. I'm sad to see it go, and that is kind of the story of this week's Comics Countdown. So to recap, we've got Action Comics number 1060, The Immortal Thor number 5, Danger Street number 12, Captain America number 4, Superman Lost number 9, Guardians of the Galaxy number 9, World's Finest Teen Titans number 6, and X Men Red number 18. Lots of conclusions this week, lots of endings, but that doesn't mean you have to end your obsession with comic books. So head on over to your LCS this week and pick up some amazing comics. And that is going to bring us to the wrap up. If this is the first time you're joining us on the Geek Explain Podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday and honestly, ratings, reviews and subscriptions really do help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space. It raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. I've been loving seeing your Spotify raps and showing up on them. It makes me feel great. It makes everybody who's part of the Explained podcast feel great. The Book Club Boys are very very proud to have been part of your listening experience this year. So keep sharing them. Keep letting us know. We love to hear it and we love to know that people are loving the show. And if you want to let us know that you love the show, uh give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I mean really, give us a five-star rating on whatever. Uh, podcasting platform you're covering, but if you do give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here on the podcast. You can make me say whatever words you want. I will be forced to read every single word you type out, but as long as you give me those five stars, I'm willing to say whatever, to a degree, to a degree. Do not abuse this. Uh, but I, I would love to hear from you. You'll be able to join the likes of our Terrific 21 who have already sent in their reviews. We'd love to get to 25. We just need four more reviews. I think we can do it. I think we can do it. Four more reviews before the end of the year. I would love to see that. Um, So, yeah, I would really appreciate it. Thank you to our Terrific 21 for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. If you'd like to be part of the Geeksplain mailbag, send your emails to geeksplain at gmail.com, put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here on the Wednesday show. If you'd like to keep up to date with us, participate in polls that decide future episodes, um, get first announcements for, you know, New episodes going live, or big announcements for the show itself, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news. Feel free to follow us at Geek Explained Pod—that's at Geek Explained P O D on Instagram and Twitter—as I continue to figure out how to be good at Instagram, and for as long as Twitter (I'm not calling it X) is around. Uh, finally, this Friday and every single Friday, we put on the Geek Explained Book Club. If you enjoyed the conversation that Malcolm and I had in this episode, you're in for a treat because this entire time for the back half of our season four entitled The Brave and the Bold, Malcolm and I have been going through every single issue of every single volume of Green Arrow. Rebirth, and this week is the penultimate episode of our coverage of that series. Uh, We're going to be closing out the Green Arrow Rebirth run with the uh, Hive Mind, actually, Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing wrapping things up for the Rebirth era uh, this Friday. We've had a hell of a time going through this, and I would love to have you there with us as we end Oliver Queen's time in the Rebirth era of DC Comics. Be there or be square, not a circle. Join us every Friday. Star City Fridays are a real thing, so make sure you join us there. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. I want to say a huge thank you once again to my good brother Malcolm for coming on. I love having him on the Friday show, but it's been really nice to have him pop up on the Wednesday show here every single month for the last few months, in fact. So uh, I love talking to him. You could hear that we had a great time talking about this book. So uh, go pick up. Miles Davis and The Search for the Sound. I think you will be pleasantly surprised, especially if you don't venture into indie comics that often, like I don't. Um, I'm still kind of a baby when it comes to independent comics, uh, creator-owned comics. So that's kind of what the whole idea of Indiecember is about discovering new comics, enjoying them, talking about them, and wading our way through that to get more eyes on indie comics. Because it's not just about the big two, gang. It's not just about the big two. There are so many comics by so many creators that deserve to have eyes on them. And speaking of which... A couple, you know, small creators for uh, next week. Grant Morrison and Dan Mora. Have you heard of them? Uh, For part three of In December 2023 and our Christmas special. I'm going to be joined by Dallas of the Comics Collective Podcast as we once again talk about... We're going to be covering the new adventures of Santa Claus next week, so join us for that same geek time, same geek channel. And for now, for the Geek Explained podcast, I have been Eric Kazana. Thank you so much for listening. Everybody, stay safe, stay warm. It's getting cold out here. And we will see you next time. It's the most
2: wonderful time of the year. That's the most wonderful